Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Friday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm being joined today by Matt Cochran. Matt, how are things in Florida? I- I'm not in Florida, as I'm sure you could tell. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, no, everything's uh, every, everything's warm down here. I know the rest of the country took it on the chin uh, this last week with cold weather and snow. Uh, yesterday, my kids were swimming in our swimming pool in the backyard, our unheated swimming pool in the backyard. So, so Matt, I joked on Twitter about this, that we are probably two of the premier retail stock analysts, whatever you want to call us. We cover the retail sector as well as anybody. We're going to talk a lot of retail on this show. Uh, but we are also probably the only broadcast duo right now that's, that are both vaccinated. Uh, you're vaccinated because of your, uh, your side job, I guess we could call it, uh, in, the, in the public service space. Uh, I was vaccinated because for a second time, I drove to South Carolina and I volunteered for Prisma Health. And I'm not going to go into any specific name because we're protecting anonymity here. But I said it last time, this gives me hope for mankind. This was supposed to be an outside mass vaccination site. They had to move it inside due to weather on basically two days notice. And they still managed to run like a, a fine oiled machine, just thousands of people getting vaccinated, everyone with a smile on their face, doctors, nurses, students, patiently answering questions and explaining it to people. South Carolina is not usually a state you go, wow, this is a leader in, in things. But this is an absolute example for how things need to be done. People in other states that are having trouble should be calling up Prisma Health and asking how they're doing it, how they're handling everything from the appointments to the volunteers to getting the vaccinations done. Uh, I know my mother is watching. I am having very little in the way of, of side effects, uh, a tiny bit of pain in the injection site. Uh, maybe a tiny little bit of chills this morning, though it was hard to know because it was 38 degrees outside when I woke up. So perhaps I just didn't have the temperature set high enough. We're going to take your comments. We're going to take your questions, uh, but we're going to talk retail today. Our top story, Matt, it's one we both ca- cover and care about, Walmart. Their earnings uh, missed expectations, but they were still really great. So I'm going to talk a little bit about expectations. Matt, why don't you go through what Walmart accomplished? Uh, yeah. So like you said, uh, they missed expectations. But look, there was a lot of positive highlights that you can take away from this uh, from this quarter. Like, first of all, their e-commerce sales in the U.S., it grew by 69 percent. It's same store sales in the U.S. was up by 8.6 percent. Uh, you know, Sam's Club, they also had uh, low single digit same store sales growth, uh, which excluding fuel and tobacco. And, uh, you know, for the for the three months that just ended at the end of the January, you know, it posted a loss. But a lot of that had to do with like uh, like its its assets in the UK and Japanese operations, uh, and excluding those operations uh, and those investments, like Walmart earned one thirty nine per share. And yeah, did it miss expectations? Yes, but like, look, I think there's a lot of positive uh, takeaways Walmart shareholders can take away from this. It had record operating cash flow of thirty six billion dollars, and uh, profit growth was also strong. You know, so I, I real again, I thought it was a pretty good quarter. I thought it was a great quarter. And anytime you're posting more than 2 or 3% comp, comp gains and online sales, analysts have unrealistic expectations. Analysts pick a number out of a hat and they don't really look at, did this company take the steps it needed to grow its business? So right now, any retail is going to be a little bit choppy. We're going to be coming against pandemic periods where maybe I went to Walmart because Walmart was available and I'm not normally a Walmart shopper. So we're going to see a little bit of up and down. But Matt, they're also investing really heavily. And we've seen from Amazon that essentially you have to endlessly invest. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's a little company called Amazon that has like copied that strategy, Dan. So maybe it might it might be a good strategy for them to take. Uh, you know, like so they're they're investing in a number of things. Like first uh was uh first was their combination of like e-commerce and like Walmart plus. Like they really want to like invest in like delivery um, and and curbside pickup. They want that to be even a more robust platform. You know, Dan, uh, they're also investing a lot in wages. Like, you know, like Costco has one of the like the higher the highest uh, worker retention rates in the industry. And Walmart now they've increased starting wages by more than 50 percent since 2015. And once these increases are implemented, approximately half of its U.S. hourly associates will be earning at least $15 an hour. So they're investing a lot in their workers and their uh, logistics. And, uh, you know, I think I think these are all things it has to do. And let's be clear, Matt, they're not making those investments uh, to be sort of generous. They're doing it because Target's paying $15 an hour. Costco's paying more than $15 an hour. People have, we got asked a lot on Twitter, like, is this going to force prices up? And it could, but here's the reality. It's actually cheaper to retain a, a much higher percentage of your workforce at a higher rate than it is to, uh, you know, have constant turnover. There's a massive, massive training cost. So Walmart is making working at Walmart a potential career for more people. So you know, I'm excited about these numbers. I'm excited about the investments. Um Matt, anything else that they've done uh, in this quarter that you wanted to comment on before we get to a question from Kevin Eckmark? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dan, one of the most impressive things I think about this are the private brands like uh, Walmart is really developing now. They have 13 general merchandise private brands that would be classified as billion-dollar brands. Three apparel lines are $2 billion brands. Uh, that's massively impressive. Uh, first of all, just on the face of it, that's impressive. Second <laughs> of all, private brands are more, uh, much more lucrative for for Walmart and retailers than uh, third party third party brands they sell in store. So that just shows you that they're, they're doing a lot of things right here uh, with the private brands. And I thought that that's what really jumped out uh, for me. There's been a lot of investment, and look, it is not cheap to offer free two-day delivery. Building out that infrastructure isn't easy, and Walmart's gonna constantly have to spend that. Uh, but that said, they've put that money in. So Kevin Eckmark, who has a question in the queue, but also uh, shared with us on Twitter, maybe I'm an optimist, but I thought they checked the right boxes. Investing in their people, their tech, their logistics, et cetera, plus a dividend increase. I'll take a miss on earnings estimates for ensuring that everything is firing as much as possible when money isn't easy. Yeah, I agree with that fully. Matt, anything you wanna add there? No, I think you got it exactly right. I, I, you know, like, look, Walmart's just this giant. Look, it, it's aiming for four percent organic growth over the long term, which doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, you know, that's almost like adding a Fortune 100 revenue to its top line every single year. Which, uh, like, you know, the scale of this company is very impressive. It's very profitable still, even with the increased investments, uh, which means it can pay a dividend. It can buy back shares. Uh, you know, it's. You know, in a retail world where the pandemic made the big bit bigger, uh, a lot of times at the expense of small businesses, uh, unfortunately so, uh, Walmart is in a great position because of its massive footprint and because of the, the massive investments it's been making in its e-commerce operations. We're going to take some of your questions, uh, but I have one last question for Matt here. Matt, do you think how you shop has changed permanently? I know that I was always a big Amazon user. I was always a pretty casual Instacart user. I might 
Instacart my ingredients for dinner if my day didn't allow me to do that. Uh, for me, I don't feel like it's, it's anything permanent, except maybe it tilted a tiny bit more towards Amazon. How about you? Do you still like going to the store? I have never liked going to the store. <laughs> so uh, I would say like, if anything, it might've accelerated the trends we were already seeing in our household, which I, I, I kind of think that's like, uh, that's just like the general takeaway. Uh, we were already using Walmart curbside pickup for the vast majority of our grocery shopping. Uh, that's, that's continued and it's probably not going to change anytime soon. We might even explore Walmart Plus and its delivery options. Um, you know, it just saves a lot of time for my wife. Uh, like just going to the store, you park, they bring out your food and you're gone in 15 minutes. Grocery shopping, you know, we have four kids, Dan. That used to be a two-hour ordeal every Saturday for my wife, you know. And then uh, so it's just much easier uh, for her and saves us a lot of time. We already do almost all our Christmas shopping on Amazon, uh, you know. So I don't think... Uh, if anything, it probably it probably just accelerated what we were already doing. But like, I've never liked going to the store, so uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, too much has changed there. Matt, with four kids, do you name them all? Do you just have numbers on the back? Like, <laughs> like, like, can you trade one for future considerations? Like, like that is a lot of kids. I am well, teasing a little bit. It's it's like diversifying, right, Dan? So it, we have it, a, a diversified portfolio of kids. It is giving you more chances that one of them can pay for your retirement. More uh, upside, but probably more downside. <laughs> you're watching Seven Investing Now. So Matt and I are a little out of breath because we came to this uh, this is a marathon day for us. On the third Friday of the month, for our members, first we do a new members call. And that's where we walk people through the site, talk about how long-term investing works, really give them some insight into what we're doing as a company and why you'd want to join 7investing. And then after that, we do our members-only call. And that's any member can come on, and we give some updates on recent recommendations, and we each pick one of our recommendations and give a, a second update on that. Uh, and then we take questions that we don't answer here on the live show. On 7investing now, we tend to focus on bigger issues and trends. We don't comment whether something was a, a pick or not, because obviously those are just for the paying members. So if you want to join the party, if you want to become a paying member of 7investing, that is 7investing.com slash subscribe. Uh, it is a great value. You get all sorts of access. We are really excited by what we are doing. And coming soon, a 7th advisor. That is going to happen. There are six of us now. There will be seven sooner than you could think. Are we already teasing that? I didn't know we were teasing that. I'm teasing it. Uh, <laughs> All right, fair I, enough. I haven't, I haven't cleared that with Simon. <laughs> I'm not who it is uh, in any way, but but let me just tell you, you're going to want a seatbelt for when we finally announce this one. Matt, let's do what we're watching here. And uh, you were excited about Shopify's uh, fourth quarter and their full year earnings. I am very bullish on this company. Uh, your thoughts on Shopify's Q4? Uh, amazing. Like, so, I, but I don't know if there's ever been a quarter that Shopify's reported where I didn't think the same thing. Uh, look, it's full year revenue grew 86% year over year. Uh, it's gross merchandise value growth, uh, 96 grew 96% year over year. Uh, that's like all the merchandise that it's uh, sellers sell on Shopify's platform. By market share, it is now the second largest US e commerce retailer, second only to Amazon. Uh, it's subscription solutions revenue. That's like what uh, it's, it's, it's shoppers pay to uh, be on Shopify's platform. That grew 53% year over year. That's uh, that's the really sweet, uh, lucrative, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, like SaaS business model that we all love, high margins. It's merchant solutions, which includes everything from like 
uh, you know, it's delivery services, it's logistics, it's Shopify pay that grew 117% year over year. So is, this is a company clicking on all cylinders, Dan. It's really important to remember that people think of Shopify as the, as an online store. And yes, they offer that, but that's the, the, that's the tip of the spear. That is not what their business is. Their business is letting small businesses compete with the big guys through logistics. So Matt, what are some of the things they've done for their, their merchants to help them get through the pandemic? And of course, increase their loyalty to the Shopify platform. All right. So, you know, they've done a lot. They launched a new point of sales platform. Uh, you know, they've, they've invested a lot in their Shopify fulfillment, making it easier for, for sellers to sell. But I think the biggest thing, Dan, in this whole last year is that they launched Shop, which is an all-in-one mobile shopping assistant, which helps merchants like deepen their relationships with existing buyers. It puts like a rediscovery tool at buyer's fingertips. It also gives shoppers access to like this range of features. It creates a more intuitive online shopping experience that merchants would otherwise have to assemble themselves. It includes things like accelerated checkout. Uh, it's buy now and pay later product, shop pay installments, order tracking, uh, you know, even things for like, it has like carbon offsets of delivery emissions. And buyers can like discover curated merchant lists within the app that include things like like uh, local sellers or 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 black owned sellers, uh, black owned businesses. And at the end of 2020, Shop had more than 100 million registered users. This was only launched in April, so it already has 100 million registered users and includes buyers that had op opted into Shop Pay as well as users of the app. Uh, it has it now has 19 million uh, monthly active users on this app. So I think this like of everything, and there was a, a lot of things that did this here to help its sellers. I think the launch of this mobile uh, shopping app was was the biggest, the big the big deal. Dan, Matt, is it fair to say this isn't going to be a steady road? Because like Amazon, like Walmart, like Target, that these are I think the big four of retail, and I include Shopify in this list there's going to be perpetual investment. So there will be quarters where they do like Amazon and say, yep, we had 3 billion in profit, but by the way, we're gonna spend it on building a drone army next month or, or whatever it is. So I do think as people who follow shop, you have to be prepared that the expense will be heavy here. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think that might be the common theme, Dan, from like a lot of these quarters, because just like Walmart, it said it was committed to spending and investing more in 2021 to deliver what merchants need. So that includes things like the Shopify fulfillment network. We kind of talked a little about this, but it, it, it wants to build out the software that tightly integrates fulfillment into Shopify's tech stack to optimize like its distributed network of, of nodes, enhance the overall merchant experience to deliver fast and affordable merch fulfillment to merchants buyers. And a lot of that is this Six River Systems, which is an acquisition it made uh, a, a couple of years ago. Uh, Six River Systems, you can almost think of it as like a logistics or logistics and warehouse operating system. And it has like a, through a combination of like robots and warehouses, AI, operational expertise, and it's continuing to build out like uh, Six River Systems, which will really help out its uh, its fulfillment network. And also internationally, like it's really helping like a lot of merchants succeed now that are, that are in non-English speaking geographies. And it wants to really invest to enhance and add new features to make Shopify more intuitive and aligned with the commerce practices of, of us merchants in those kinds of regions. So Shopify has solved what I consider the biggest barrier for shopping. Forget the logistics, forget the getting it to you, the warehousing. I buy things from Amazon 
almost all the time because Amazon has my credit card info. It's already there. I don't have to do anything. I bought something on Facebook through a Shopify site, didn't even know it was a Shopify site. And once I realized that it was, because they sent me a tracking link for the item in the Shopify app, uh, I can now buy from any Shopify person I want. Uh, and that is, you know, that is a really easy thing to do. So we've lost Matt Cochran here. I, I don't know where Matt went uh, or what happened, but hopefully he'll get back on. Uh, I don't know, maybe there are uh, pelicans in the system, uh, not pelicans, you know what I mean, uh, flamingos in the system in the uh, Fort Lauderdale area, but hopefully Matt will come back. Let's take some questions here. Uh, Maomir Khan says, uh, Twilio and Roku, uh, they, had they had phenomenal results. Do you guys think it can 10 times in a decade? Um, I don't know Twilio that well. With Roku, I'm very, very bullish on it, but I'm always hesitant to, to use terms like 10 baggers or can it 10 times. When I look at Roku, I see that there is a lot of growth ahead of it. There's a lot of profitability ahead of it. And I like what their businesses do it. Could they be 10 times bigger three years from now? Yep. Could they not be? Yes, that too. But if you invest in those companies, uh, you know, in general, if the company's doing good business, the stock price will at some point follow. We can't predict when things are going to move at any given time. Matt Cochran, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry about that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, did you just drop out there? Or, well, we won't even try to figure it out. But uh, ZL yeah. asks, uh, if you want to pull that one up, Sam Bailey. Uh, ZLS, do you guys like e-commerce giants from emerging markets uh, such as JD, PDD, or YNDX? I don't know some of those. Um, I, in general, and Matt, I think your approach is different. If I can't experience a company, I am very unlikely to invest in it. So one of the reasons I, I've become a Walmart believer is I've gone through Walmart first announcing two-day delivery and having it be an absolute disaster. I, I've told the story about the items I bought that I bought five items and it took six deliveries. And one of those also involved an email telling me to go to the store. But I watched how that evolved and how it's improved. And that made me a believer. I can't experience that you know, with companies in other countries. So that's not generally an area I invest. Matt, your thoughts there. Uh, well, that is probably the hardest uh, thing about investing in foreign, comp uh, foreign companies that are based like internationally and they, you can't really get a good experience with them in the U.S. Uh, and I think like, you know, investors around the world experience that. So it's definitely harder. It's definitely harder to invest in four companies. That being said, uh, I think JD.com, if you are not uh, wary of investing in Chinese companies, uh, they have done a great job of building out uh, like a lot of infrastructure needed uh, to have like to operate a true e-commerce giant. And uh, I think JD.com is probably a good investment from here. Again, depending how weary you are of investing in Chinese companies. Nick, we appreciate the question on the $15 minimum wage, and we're not going to get into the politics of it, but I would generally argue that companies paying their workers properly generally leads to results. Now, there are some examples. Chipotle starts people very, very low, but there is a really clear path. It's over 90% of their general managers, people who make six figures, started as those low-paid workers. So I think you can build a different path. Starbucks doesn't pay $15 an hour, but does have benefits like college and health insurance and stock and other things that might bring you there. They also have a tip component. So that's that's something that can make it a little tricky to compare. But in general, and I, I know this, I ran a very large retail store. If I lost somebody who worked in, say, my model train department, and I had to hire a new person and teach them all the stuff about model trains, that was a massive amount of time, a massive investment. So it was worth it for us to retain workers. The politics of it, 
I don't care about. It, 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 companies should be doing what's right for their businesses. And I think we're seeing more companies realize that holding on to workers longer is right for their business. Matt, without stepping over any lines here, is there anything you want to add there? No, I mean, I just think there's some like great examples of that, like who have uh, like to have kind of blazed a trail and like really shown that 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 can work on ju in just a free market. Like Costco, I think is always done out there. It always pays its uh, employees like a, a very fair wage uh, with good benefits, and they always have like a high employee retention rates, uh, which leads to happy workers, which leads to great customer service. I, I don't think that's like, uh, you know, I don't think that's rocket science. You know, other examples of that, they're not public companies, but in and out does an amazing job of engaging its workforce somehow. I mean, they work at like a greasy burger joint, but it's done an amazing job. Uh, you know, Chick-fil-A, same thing. Uh, Publix, which is a grocery store down here in the southeast, uh, like it, it doesn't always pay the greatest wages, but it has like a, a it has a private stock for its employees and its employees can participate in that. And I know like several employees like have made a career out of working at Publix because of that. And they retired like like with a decent uh, nest egg because of that. So I, there's different ways like companies can reward their employees. And yeah, I think it works on the, just the forget about government regulations. Like uh, th that works on the free market. And I think there's, those are the companies that have proved it. I grew up in a family business. The vast majority of the people who worked for us were promoted internally. So someone might start right after high school, maybe a trade school, in the warehouse and they're loading trucks and then maybe they're driving trucks and then maybe they're a salesman in the office. By the time they get to the office, they've handled each of those products thousands of times. There's nothing they can't tell you about it. So there's a real value in doing that. Matt, we're gonna hit the home stretch here. Uh, we appreciate the questions. We appreciate the comments. We're not going our, our normal hour long marathon. As we talked at the, the beginning of the show, not only did we do the two member calls before, but at two o'clock today, we tape our team podcast uh, where we, we all participate and that gets released on our podcast feed where you can also uh, listen to 7investing now. And we tape the first half of our picks for next month. Each one of us picks a stock each month. That's the core product for 7investing. And we do a 20 to 30 minute video presentation on it where Matt pitches his stock. And if I want to ask questions, I can ask questions and push back. So you don't just get the bull case. You also get the bear questions. You might get one of us really not agreeing with the pick. That gives you more information that a lot of people call them deep dives. I think of them as presentations, but we're doing that this afternoon. So to survive, we will probably not go as long as we've been going. But Matt, in well, the well, Dan, Dan, just real quick, like sure. we do, we, you and me, we do 20 to 30 minute presentations. Max is like 40 <laughs> to 50 minutes, but you know, you just have to bear with them. But the gauntlet has been thrown down. So we're going to do three big questions on retail for the home stretch here. Matt, is brick and mortar less important than ever, or is it sneakily even more important? Well, um, <laughs> I think uh, I think like having a, a physical locations and a physical location footprint is. Uh, I don't know if it's more important than ever, but it's it's just as important as ever. And I think like proof of that is like you can look at Amazon, like they're they're investing heavily. They bought Whole Foods like just partly for that like uh, physical store location. And Dan, you've predicted several times like they might buy another brick and mortar retailer. I'm just wrong. To have I'm wrong every time. I predicted that they would buy Radio Shack. But like you might be right one day. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. And Amazon, you know, they're exploring the idea of having convenience stores, uh, employee-less 
convenience stores like around the country. Uh, you know, they're they're actively exploring ideas to to broaden its reach. Even companies like Shopify, which started to help online retailers, like they've invested now in point of sale systems that their retailers can use at their brick and mortar locations. So like uh so, so look, I, I think the, the, at the end of the day, we still talk about e-commerce and we still talk about like like the in-store sales. At the end of the day, in a couple of years, Dan, I think we're just going to be talking about commerce. We live in an omni-channel world. How do you count sales that like uh, like you, you you buy on the Walmart app, but you go to the store to to pick up the groceries? Um, you know, like when you when you buy on Home Depot, you, you can like pick up your order in a locker. Uh, you know, like th these lines that we have that we've used for the last several years now to divide online sales from physical sales, they're blurring and they're blurring more every passing year. I think that's going to continue to blur. And we live in an omni-channel world and the most successful companies, I think the biggest companies will be the ones that can live, uh, that have very competent platforms in both worlds. Matt, I'm a little bit older than you, so I'm still getting used to a Technicolor world. Uh, but <laughs> I actually think brick and mortar is going to be more important, important than ever because you're going to need that logistics network. One of the hardest things for Shopify is they have to build up that physical warehousing, those touch points. So Amazon might have like its massive fulfillment center, and there's one near, near me in Davenport, Florida, one near me in West Palm Beach. That's great. But what if I don't live quite so close to one? Well, they might be using the back of a Whole Foods or some space that you don't see at an Amazon four-star store or, or whatever it is. So I actually think brick and mortar is more important, but it's not all going to be customer-facing retail. Some of it is going to be back-end. And I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, sort of, and we're going to talk about Kohl's in a second, this idea that you might take space away from your front-facing retail and do more fulfillment. That's actually something Kohl's has done. But that brings us to question two on three big questions retail here. Oh, we, now, have three. we have three. We have three. Okay. All right. Let's we do three. it. Will any of the tweener retailers, that's uh, Kohl's and Macy's are the ones I'm really thinking of, will they survive? Uh, for what's the time period we're talking about? Five years. Uh, yeah, I think they will. I think they will survive the next five years. I think Kohl's will do much better than Macy's. I, I think I, I, you know, uh, I'm not invested in either and I have no plans to invest in either. Uh, I think someone, I would be open to a case if someone made it for, for Kohl's. Macy's, it would have to be a really good pitch. <laughs> I would have to hear I don't think Macy's has a chance. They have a fine balance sheet, so they'll probably still be here in five years. Yeah. Kohl's, I, they have a kind of massive problem, is that we talked about owned and operated lines uh, with Walmart before, and the Kohl's lines have become tired, and they're trying to rotate in some new ones, but they don't have the muscle of a Target or a Walmart to make those really good partnerships. I think there's one thing that could help Kohl's, and I'm going to say it again, that maybe Amazon doesn't buy them, but why Kohl's isn't serving as a storefront for Amazon's owned and operated clothing lines? Did you did you know, Matt, that Amazon has like six different underwear lines, uh, mostly for women, but six different underwear lines? How do you buy underwear you've never seen before? Like that seems really difficult. Like a lot of athletic leisure wear work in. If you're exposed to it at Kohl's and then choose to go buy more at Amazon, that's good for both companies. I think Kohl's needs something big, but I think most of the struggling retailers are going to go away because that Dillard's would be another example. They don't have the know-how to sort of get where they need to go. And look, we all counted Best Buy out for dead six or seven years ago. And then Hubert Jolie came in, massively changed the company and its focus. So these things can happen. 
but just announcing like, hey, now we have a new partnership for uh, you know women's stretchy pants, that is not going to turn your business around. You need massive reinvention. And we've seen it with Sears and JCPenney. That's not necessarily possible. Matt, third and final question. Uh, what's the one thing you see a lot of people get wrong about the future of retail? Uh, I'm going to steal your thunder here, Dan. Like, <laughs> and I, I hate to do it, but like, I think you're right. You've convinced me. Like the the you know the retail apocalypse, uh, the you know the the so-called retail apocalypse wasn't caused by Amazon. It was caused by bad business management. You know, of a lot of these companies. You know, a lot of times we'll see these bankrupt retailers uh, go out of business. You know, think Toys R Us, think Sears. Uh, you know, you can go down the list. And a lot of times, e-commerce is blamed for that. And like, Dan, like you've pointed out uh, several times, like that's not the case. Like it's bad management, it's debt, it's not investing in e-commerce for the last several years, you know, and trying to trying to play catch up after you're massively behind, uh, you know, on these investments. So like, you know, I think that's what people don't understand. Like if for brick and mortar retailers, the good ones, they're, they're not only going to survive, they're, they can still thrive. Uh, you know, and there, we talked about Walmart at the top of this show. I think that's a great example. Target's probably another good example. Costco, uh, you know, there's 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 plenty of examples you can give of really good brick and mortar retailers uh, that have uh, invested heavily in their omni-channel capabilities and that they're going to be just fine. Amazon did not put them out of business. Uh, the ones that did go out of business, it was bad business. It was bad management and a lot of debt. The Sorry, one I'm you're stealing say, your thunder. No, no that's actually not where I was going to go, Matt. Oh, all right. Well, good. Say, people are counting out malls way too soon. So you just mentioned Costco. People like to go to Costco. It's not about necessarily getting you know, your, your toilet paper cheaper. There is a fun, maybe not right now, but in the normal world, it's fun to walk around Costco, see what they have, have a sample. Maybe you come home with a, an eight-foot teddy bear or a kayak you didn't intend to buy or a sweatshirt or whatever it is. That's a shopping experience. TJ Maxx, uh, you know, Marshalls, that's the same kind of thing. Home goods. You might go to Home Goods and come back with a ceramic chicken. I own two ceramic chickens from Home Goods. Nobody was planning on that. Uh, so it's one of those things where kids still like to go to the mall. Peak mall traffic was 2019 for top tier malls. So are the bad malls like Matt, I, I don't want to say RIP Boynton Beach Mall, but the Boynton Beach Mall, which was a ghost town pre-pandemic that had like restaurants I'd never heard of in the food court, that one's going to be an Amazon fulfillment center or something else. But the Boca Mall, Boca Town Center, is a hit. The, the Gardens Mall, which is an upscale mall in Palm Beach Gardens, and I'm referencing these because Matt and I both live in, in sort of uh, the same vicinity, the giant uh, Mills Mall out in... Uh, out in Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, it, it is going to be successful. So I think people assume that digital shopping is going to become 50%. It topped out at 20% at the height of the pandemic. I don't actually think it's ever going to go much higher than 20, 23% uh, because there is like some joy to shopping. Now, maybe eventually it'll be the Jetsons and I can try on clothes and it's 100% accurate from home. It's not 10% accurate right now. So I don't expect to see that happening. We're going to take one more question. Nick wants to know, uh, what do we think about Facebook and its future in shopping? I think shopping is going to be a niche thing on Facebook. I've bought some things where, you know, friends are recommending them or a really interesting, you know, phone case pops up or charger. And we all know I'm a sucker for phone chargers. I own like 30 of them. Um, I don't think shopping is going to be a major part of the Facebook platform. Matt, feel free to disagree. Uh, I think I, 
I think it's very possible that you're wrong. Um, look, I'm not saying it's a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but like Facebook has the audience. If anybody, if they can make a, a frictionless online shopping experience, I think it could be very, very big for them. Uh, you know, the thing I would say, there was a survey out not too long ago where the people who had done shopping on Instagram, like overwhelmingly said they would do it again. Uh, so they can make it, if they can make it frictionless where your payments are already in the app, and that's the real trick. Uh, like they know how to get the ads like you want to see in front of you. And if you can just buy it right there with a click, uh, wow, I think that's a very powerful proposition. I feel better about shopping prospects for Instagram, which is a Facebook company, than the actual Facebook platform. I oh, feel sure, like I, sure. I go to Facebook to communicate with my aunts and uncles who are older, to share vacation pictures, to see what people I went to high school are up to. I don't really feel like it's a platform. I'm looking for ideas of what to buy. And Instagram, I think, could be. There's a lot more influencers. There's a lot more people. And Shopify has done a really good job of building out the back end for that to bring everything full circle. Matt, it has been a long, long day. Uh, and it's, it's going to We're only halfway there. <laughs> yeah, we are only halfway there. With that, Sam Bailey, can you pull up our finisher? In what state, this is kind of a trivia question, not really a poll. In what state does Amazon have the most workers? Uh, I've not seen this. Matt, do you, do you know the answer to this one? No, I don't. I haven't seen it either. So this has cuts me off guard. Wow. So 40% said Texas. That's not correct. Uh, 9.5% said Florida. Now, I have to be honest. I would have said Washington State. Uh, you know, Seattle yeah, is a, is a right. big part of. Uh, but actually, California just pulled ahead. Uh, and why did I share this? It's one of those things where... As we're looking into companies, as advisors here, we have to challenge our own beliefs. So it, you'll hear all, all the time, oh my God, people are just never going to shop in stores again. It's going to be 75% of all sales. And then you need to really dig into the numbers and, and find, is that actually true? Like, you know, you'll hear it now, oh, people are never going to go back to restaurants. Like, I, I don't believe that. Like, you know, you know what people miss doing? Going to restaurants because like getting it in like plastic, you know, styrofoam takeout things and having to reconstitute it and heat it back up and wash your own plates like that's not the full experience of dining out. We challenge our beliefs. Matt, thank you for doing this. Sam Bailey, who has limited power, her Internet's like a tin can and a string uh, dealing with all sorts of things over there in Texas. Uh, we, we, we feel for all of the seven investing family that is in Texas. Uh, but that's it for the Friday edition. If you want to get in touch with us, it is info at 7 That's for questions you have about our service. If you have a broad question that you'd like us to answer on the show, generally, don't ask us to you know, look into individual stocks. Like if it's a stock that's on our radar, we might comment on it. Uh, but in general, that's something we can handle in members-only calls. Uh, you know, and certainly if it's companies you know we cover on 7 Investing Now. You can also communicate with us at 7investing on Twitter. That's at the number seven. We are really, really active on Twitter. We're trying to have more conversations with people to make it more fun. So with that, for Matt Cochran, I am Dan Klein. We will see you Monday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.